The NA Insights, Episode 2. Hello and welcome to Episode 2 of our DNA Insights. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about seeing possession as an individual event. So, Dad, if we were to just dive right into it, what, what does that mean exactly? Um, before we do, can we take just a little step back and, yeah. and let's reflect upon what I believe we've built our football traditions upon in the past? And it's been about muscularity, it's been about robustness, mm-hmm. it's about tackling, and it's all of those real qualities of strength and speed and pace that, that you definitely need. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure we've really valued individual brilliance and individual skill in the way that I think we need to in order for us to compete at the highest levels. Yeah. So I think culturally we are... We've gone down a certain path in the way that we develop the players because of the things that we obviously value um, as part of our heritage and part of our culture. I'm asking for a a subtle change in that emphasis, particularly as we're working with young children, so that what they get, their first offer, is more about developing their individual skill so that um, we've got the opportunity to then develop this at various points along the pathway so that we we develop a different kind of player. Yeah, cuz it, it it definitely feels like you're you're challenging a style of play that is traditional for us and has been for quite a few years. So, if you're saying it it, it would we're wanting to kind of change that or have a different focus, is there anything that you want to supplement instead of or a, a new shift what what is your new focus? Yeah. Well, let's let's look at a um a usual touchline uh, on any weekend in any part of the country, you know, for any age group, mm-hmm. probably. You're going to hear certain phrases. You're going to hear, get rid of it. You're going to hear, boot it out. You're going to hear, play the easy pass or play the way you face. And I think at certain points in a player's career, doing those things will absolutely be the right thing to do. Yeah. But when you're a developing player, and we've spoken about that young child being uh, a huge ball of potential, and we don't know how good they could be, why would you settle for minimum operating standards right Mm -hmm. from the start? And so why would you encourage them to do things that might might be totally um, connected to you either winning a game or not losing a game, and for me, that's not right Yeah. because you should be emphasising the things that will give the children a confidence in order to express themselves in a completely different way when they are either on the training pitch or on the, a pitch competing in a match. And that has to change. So if I'm a coach at, at grassroots level <clears> and I am saying or I have fallen into the habit of saying boot it out, play the easy pass, play the way you face. Is there anything that you want to supplement that with instead? Have you got any advice on on, on what I could then start to add into my training sessions that, that aren't those set phrases that we hear so often? Yeah, the, the one that seems to have gained the most traction on our DNA Roadshow events is the phrase, stay on the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been accepted by lots and lots of coaches and the feedback we're getting from those coaches is, is actually really positive but not right at the start 
because what um, what we're asking the children to do by staying on the ball for a little bit longer is actually really difficult. <laughs> and if you're a coach that has suddenly gone from boot it out to, right, I want everybody to play like, you know, Jaden Sancho or yeah. Phil Foden, then the kids are going to think you've had a personality transplant. Yeah, there's mixed And going to think, uh, am I at the right... You know, am I with the right team here or with the right coach? So my advice to the coaches, if you want to join this growing group of, of foundation phase coaches who are really having a go at this yeah. and, and we are getting some real traction, then changing overnight is not the way to do it. Yeah. What you have to do or what, what this is the approach that I would adopt is that I would begin to encourage it within the coaching practices that we do, and I would see how the players reacted to it. Mm -hmm. That would give me an idea about how successful they might be with this kind of approach for future training sessions, but also in matches. Yeah. And I would then try to gauge when we could actually take trying it in, in uh, training sessions where it is a really safe environment, whether we could actually take that into a competitive game. Yeah. Um, so don't change overnight. Uh, don't go from saying this one day to saying that the, the next because the players will be confused and the parents will be confused. Yeah. And you might not get the kind of buy-in that you want. Because it's, it's kind of what we talked about in the previous episode. So key message number three, that, that you know the relationship between the developing child and sport, physical activity and football, that that is... That's where the coach comes in. And we talked a lot about the how or the best kind of environment to create. So supportive, free of critical judgment, a, a, a space where kids can experiment. And if something goes wrong, that's fine. I would rather yeah. something go wrong in a training session than perhaps in a real competitive game. And I think it's, it is important to to say, and I'm glad you have said it, don't change overnight because that's so confusing and actually... Nobody fully switches into a new belief system overnight, or yeah. in, in my opinion. So it, it's got to be baby <clears> steps. We've all got to kind of, we're, work, we're working down this path. We know what the end goal is yeah. in terms of developing real skillful players, but we're just going to ease our way into this rather than going, dropping everybody in at the deep end, yeah. parents and coaches and kids alike. That, that doesn't seem helpful, does it? No, be, because... If you, if as a coach you're changing your approach, you're almost learning as you go along as well. So it's really difficult to lead on something where you feel as though you're only one step behind yeah, where, yeah. where you want to go. Um, so I think it's really important that you take your time. Mm -hmm. You really try to understand what it means because staying on the ball doesn't mean that you're encouraging children to stay on it forever so that everybody in, in their team gets frustrated, the parents get frustrated. Yeah. It's actually just gently uh, nudging them towards enjoying the ball at their feet, yeah. finding out what they're capable of doing, and then over time helping them refine their decision-making so that what comes at the end of every individual staying on the ball... Yeah, yeah actually benefits the team and benefits the player. I think that's the subtleties that we want coaches to begin to understand and get to grips with so that that message can be communicated out to the players and their parents. And I think it's important to say that that phrase, stay on the ball, doesn't mean stay on the ball at all costs, run down blind alleys until you lose the ball. But it's actually, we've got to start getting, if kids have only ever heard boot the ball, they're probably, they might not be, 
that comfortable with the ball at their feet. And obviously, we're wanting to develop skillful players who have a complete mastery over the ball. Then we've actually got to start letting the kids figure out what they can do on the ball um, and then start. Yeah. And then just progress from there, essentially. But they're never going to get to this end point if they never actually have the confidence or they're never given the space to be on the ball and see what they can do on it. Yeah, regardless of the level that you end up playing at or the position you play in, your individual capability on the ball cannot be compromised. Mm -hmm. So there will be times in the game, whether you're playing for England seniors under 18 level or you're playing for at under 10s, there's going to be times in the game where your individual ability on the ball is going to be tested. And too often, English players fail that test. Yeah. And we're unable to, to take it when, when the pressure is at its highest and when it's at its most intense. And I think a different approach starting when the children are very young will mean that if we really begin to prioritise individual skill development, then we'll have players who, when those pressure points come at whatever stage and at whatever point, they can cope with it yeah. because it's the norm. Well, it'll because be in it's, their muscle memory as well, won't it? It's, it's what they've encountered, what they've been encouraged to do, what they've faced at every point in their development. Yeah. And I think if we... Because obviously we are thinking long-term in terms of... If, if we're as coaches and as the Football Association, you're obviously looking at this <clears throat> down the line for the England senior teams and the higher level of things, but we know it begins here and all of the work begins right at the beginning. So I think we've got a clip now, actually, um, of Phil Neville, who is the Lionesses head coach. Um, and he's in this clip, he's talking about what he thinks future players should have. Because what we've been talking about has really been challenging previous mindsets, challenging previous coaching styles. So I just wanted to add this clip in because it, it, Phil seems to be on a very similar wavelength. So we'll play that for you Good. now. <laughs> we have a style, we have a philosophy, and we have a system of play. But you also need the platform to go out there and actually do it. That is encouraging players to try and make the right decisions, and to give them the platform to have that freedom, that platform to express themselves. I think that's what we've done really well over the last five years in this country, particularly at international level. We've encouraged kids and we've encouraged our senior players to actually take responsibility on the ball and not be fearful and to try and enjoy possession of the ball a lot more. And if you play out from the back and you know sometimes you might give it away, if you're criticised for giving it away when you're trying to play out from the back, sometimes you'll probably take the easy option and not play out from the back. You've got to be encouraged that if you're doing the right thing by playing out from the back, you've got to give the players that freedom, that expression, that confidence to keep getting into those positions and almost give them the confidence to not to be scared to make the mistake because I think if you've got a player that's receiving the ball that's got that freedom and confidence they won't make as many mistakes as that player that's receiving the ball that's fearful and scared so I think if you create that environment that this is our style this is how we're going to play and, and I'm giving you the confidence to make mistakes and not to be punished by it if you're trying to do the right thing then more often than not you'll get good performances so obviously in that clip, it's great to hear Phil kind of agreeing or kind of on the same mindset or on the same level of the of the things that we've been talking about. And obviously, we're talking specifically of working with foundation phase aged players, aged 5 to 11. Phil's obviously working with the senior women's team. Um, and it was interesting to me how he said that he's obviously doing a lot of the thinking in terms of he's 
laying his philosophy on the girls, but he wants that embedded in a few months' time, that actually, think of the magic if we start that right from the very beginning and that is already embedded. And what's embedded is a mastery over the ball, that confidence, and actually that bravery to just go, I know that if I, I've got the safety net of, <clears throat> if I do this, it doesn't quite work, then that's fine because it's gone, the moment's gone. But that doesn't deter me from still trying all of these creative things rather than just go, I've got to get rid of the ball because I'm not quite sure what to do with it. Yeah. Uh, I think making the connection between the, the some of the things that Phil has said, which is, you know, music to my ears, mm-hmm. obviously, uh, and our work within the foundation phase, it, it needs a little bit of just sorting through because... Coaches in the foundation phase will know that very young children will, um, they'll honeypot around the ball, you know, as, as though they're little bees around a honeypot. They, they will swarm around it, yeah. partly because they want to touch <laughs> the ball. Yeah, yeah. So this whole mantra of staying on the ball is really important because we're actually feeding that desire. And it, once, you've, once you've developed that desire then you can get the children to think about other things because you've almost fulfilled that need to, I love having the ball at my feet. So you're encouraging that. And then once you've got that first important step in place, then you can help the child make those important decisions that come as a result of, you know, I know that when little Susan or little Johnny stays on the ball, they rarely lose it now. And so we can now look at how that can help our team and how our other teammates are doing that as well and how we can combine all those things together. But we have have such an obsession, even with our youngest players, of demanding that they pass the ball. Passing the ball is a really highly skilled um, thing to be able to do because of all the things that are involved in it. Six and seven-year-olds are not at that point yet, but they are at the point where they love having the ball at their feet. So that's what we have to make the priority. That's what we have to focus on. And know that we're putting in a very important part of this jigsaw that will later on will bring us all the things we like about, you know, passing the ball creatively with each other and all of those things that adult football represents. The foundation phase game is not the same game. And I think... It's so great to hear that because kids, I mean, you might as well capitalise on what the kids want from a training session. Absolutely. They come to be the next Lionel Messi or to imagine that they're Ronaldo. They don't come to, as you've said in you know before, to stand in line or to be, you know, to be very disciplined. Like you said, they may have already had that at school. They want to, if they're at a training session, then you assume that they're there because they want to play and they want to feel the ball at their feet. Yeah. And that if you can capitalise on that, then you, you're not going to get foundation phase players playing the way that senior teams do. But if you want the senior teams to improve, then you've got to accept this is what I'm working with. I can't get technical and successful you know, pass rates from kids at this age. Yeah. So what I can guarantee is they want to be on the ball. So let's capitalise on that. Let's really establish <coughs> a really strong and a really positive connection between their bodies, the yeah. ball, and then what they can do with it. But you've, we've got to start there before we can then start progressing and expanding those circles of, okay, now you do have that mastery of the ball. Can we then maybe look how to hide it away from yeah. someone? Maybe now is the time to pass. And how can you do that with your body? But if you're just throwing kids in and asking their brains and their physical development to do things that they're just not capable of doing yeah. yet, 
then the training sessions are constantly going to be a really difficult place to be yeah. in for everybody. It's it's like saying in primary school, uh, uh, this is a maths lesson. And we know that when you become, uh, I don't know, an engineer or an architect, you're going to need to know about differential calculus. <laughs> so some of you in this class are going to be architects. So you're going to do it now. Yeah. It, it just doesn't work that way. There are there are two things. I spoke to a, a foundation phase player recently and in three years he'd never scored a goal. And some of that was because he'd never been allowed to yeah. or he might, his shooting might not have been very <laughs> good. But he'd never experienced the joy of scoring a goal. And yet every time he might watch Match of the Day or he watches England play, he sees the joy and elation and everything that's involved in scoring a goal. He'd never experienced that. So for me, I would be thinking, if I really knew that player, I'd know that and I'd yeah, give him yeah. opportunities to play. And it's, it's related to the second uh, little story in that some players are told in matches that if they're in defence, they don't cross the halfway line. Mm. And yet we've just said that children are drawn towards the ball. It's, it's almost like the ball is a magnet and they're an <laughs> iron filing and they just cannot resist going towards it. So how difficult must that be for someone of seven or eight years of age to stand on the halfway line when all of the action and the, yeah, yeah. You know, the enjoyment and, and everything is happening away from them and they're forced to stay on the pitch, yeah. uh, on the halfway line on the pitch, purely because the coach is saying, well, if we lose the ball, we might concede a goal and that's your, that's your role. Yeah. I, I just think that's fundamentally wrong. Yeah. So... We have to begin to challenge these kind of practices and say there is another approach. Yeah. And it's also obviously you said about not changing overnight. And it's important to mention that that this you won't see results overnight. You probably won't see results for quite a while. And actually, it, it's if, if a coach has <clears throat> come into the game to, you know, every weekend to have their ego filled by, you know, their team winning and scoring and actually adopting these new techniques might jeopardize that because the kids are trying new things and there's always a storming period yeah. that actually you know short term you've just got to let that go just accept that that is a byproduct of this of this new way of playing this new way yeah. of coaching this new way of existing in a training session and if you i mean I, i'll get i'll get these up now because i always kind of want to reference green shoots that we've got so coaches can hopefully feel inspired and go oh we're starting to see these green shoots now if i do just commit to this yeah it's going to be a whole lot of pain for a good a good while but look if i can it's contribute to this yeah so what do we have in in 2017 the under 17s won the world cup the under 19s won the uefa championship the under 20s were also world cup winners they are three massive successes and obviously in 2018 we followed by a a pretty good World Cup run from yeah. our England, you know, <clears throat> seniors. And I think if we've been trying to introduce these changes for quite a while now, and it feels like we're slowly starting to get lots of buy-ins from clubs and things, that these green shoots hopefully will develop into large forests. And it's a, you know, slightly strange analogy, but hopefully we will have these little successes en masse and that will constantly be producing players and it's more that we're we're not detracting from the type of players that have already been produced or are being produced it's that there's an addition there's things that they they necessarily don't have that we go yes. we need this we need this to really thrive so let's add this in because their robustness 
and their kind of technical strength. We still need that. We'll still need that. And also, if you've developed a really great connection and a really great relationship with sport in general and you've allowed you know the the children have been exposed to a range of sports that they'll develop that anyway so it's not as if this new approach will totally ignore yeah and uh, you know and um and kids won't be well, well they'll gain one thing but have lost another yeah. they'll just gain another thing in, in and with what they've already got and there is uh, i don't want coaches to misunderstand what we're saying we don't want to replace what's been valued in the past we still need to keep that because you still need all of those qualities. What we're asking is for us to really begin to prioritise skillful players and the development of those. And we, I mean, luckily, we've got an England manager at the moment who is prepared to put very young players into the England setup um, because he trusts them, he knows them. So all of the things we've spoken about, about yeah. getting to know the players, how they might cope with pressure, you know, in in, in those cauldron environments that, that the top tournaments bring, Gareth knows them. So he, he knows he can trust them. Yeah. And I think, I know our key messages have been going out <clears throat> probably for a decade now. So we are getting some traction, particularly within the, um, the professional academies, yeah. who obviously, you know, tend to take the, the boys that they obviously think have got uh, potential. Um, but I, I think... What we're seeing now is all of that potential being realised in that the players come with so much more yeah. than they've ever done before. What we have to do is manage that transition from development through to the competitive arena so that we give these players an opportunity in the Premier League yeah. on a regular basis so that they can begin to refine their skills and really take it to the next level. And I think it's it's just worth like reminding ourselves, obviously, that the first key message is about the developing child. And we talked about this in the last podcast about how we perhaps, you know, coaches shouldn't look at a child and and, and look at them thinking you are a football player. Because actually, if we if we look at them as just a child and we can offer them a wealth of enriching and positive experiences yeah. that we can then later then begin to cater and specialize into a specific sport be it football or, or or whatever that but these are kids first and foremost and we've heard coaches on all levels um, from the top right to the bottom talk about the importance of buying into that this is about creating a safe space for kids yeah i think it's also important to say that if any coaches are listening to this and thinking do you know what Having, having listened to it, I think I might try it. I want to tell you now it does come with a health warning <laughs> because what we're asking you to encourage the children to do will be very difficult for lots and lots of children because they're in a, uh, a particular period of their development where th this may not come naturally to them. They will make lost, lots of mistakes, but because they learn quickly and their brain is in a state of plasticity where it begins to adapt and, and really cope with these challenging demands, yeah. they will quickly get it. Yeah. But they won't get it if the parents you know, lose their nerve or the coach loses uh, his or her nerve. Yeah. You've got to really buy into this so that it's a long-term process that you understand will have lots of ups and downs, but over the, a long period, it's going to bring all of the benefits and the type of football players and the type of game mm. that these players can play. It's going to bring that to us, yeah. but it, it's not going to be an immediate fix. Yeah. 
And I think now is a great time to, uh, so we'll end this podcast here, but I would really like to end again on the roadshow mantra um, because it's all about love, positivity, um, rather than strictness uh, and restriction. So if you if you want to finish on that, Dad. Yeah, it, I mean, the, the mantra is that love is a better teacher than a sense of duty. And if children love the ball, and that means that they, they are like bees around a honeypot when you throw a ball in, then that's fine because that's them demonstrating that love of wanting to be on the ball. And so our staying on the ball message fits exactly with that. When it becomes a sense of duty, you've got little Susie who's forced to stand on the, the halfway line and watch while the game unravels and goals are being scored and all the action is happening 50 yards away from them. That, I don't want football to be seen in those terms yeah. through the eyes of our young children. Yeah. Love is a better teacher than a sense of duty. I think that's really Absolutely. great. Absolutely. So brilliant. Thanks so much for joining us for our second episode of our DNA Insights. And join us next week for episode three, where we'll be talking more about technical things that you as a coach can introduce into your coaching sessions. We'll see you soon. Bye.